for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. You know, this week, um, this week I wanted to do a lot of things differently than, than what they actually happened. I, I wanted to get up early every day like, and go work out. And, uh, you know, get started all my day, put some things together before everyone else got up. You know, sometimes when you have kids, that's really the only time you can get things done. And so I thought, man, it's on this week. I got it. I got it. But my alarm went off. And then I hit snooze. But I didn't go right back to sleep. Hold on, hold on. I, I then began the conversation. Do I really need to get up today? I mean... I begin to have these conversations about the rest of the week. You know, if, if I want to go to the gym three, three days out of the week, like it's Monday, I go, I'll go Monday night. Monday, easy. Monday, when I get home, I'll go, Lex will probably want to go with me. And so, like, me and Alexa will go to the, the gym together. Like, that'll be a thing. And then I go right back to sleep convinced that I would be motivated later on in the day or, or another day out of the week. And this happened every day this last week. Tuesday, the alarm goes off. Wednesday, the alarm goes off. Thursday was snowing. There was no way. I mean, it wasn't snowing when my alarm went off, but it was coming eventually, right? So what's crazy is I convinced myself that there would be a point that I would just suddenly wake up and be motivated to do something different. And the truth is that for me and for all of us, when it comes to being built different, that if we're waiting for motivation to change, then we're just selling ourselves an excuse to stay the same. See, because if we're waiting for this emotional moment where we're like, ah, it's enough, I'm ready, let's go. Very few of us wake up like that in the morning. Right, And for most of us, the things that we want to be different in our lives aren't things that, like, are easy to do. Some of it requires a little bit of work. I want to eat healthy this year. Well, that means i got to stop buying Nutty Bars because I like Nutty Bars probably more than I like to work out at the gym. I mean, we talked last week about my pre-workout shakes, like the – the Dairy Queen blizzards, like those are the, the constant struggles that, that are happening. And so we can't wait for a moment that we experience, well, motivation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change now. Because if we're waiting for that emotional time, that, that light bulb to just go off, we're just selling ourselves an excuse so that we can stay the same. But we're supposed to be different. So we've been talking about this year. We're supposed to live different. We're supposed to run at a different pace. You know, last week we talked about how Jesus didn't give his life so that we could just be average or normal or stay in a safe bubble of comfort. No, he gave his life to give us life to the full, which means that I'm going to run after him. I'm going to build his kingdom. I'm going to become a threat to the enemy. He didn't die to make me safe. He died to make me dangerous. And so many times we think, yeah, wait, it's not as easy as that, Pastor Kevin. You, you forgot about all of the things. But is it really that hard? Or have we convinced ourselves and complicated it so that we feel better about the pace that we've adjusted ourselves to? You see, this morning I want to give you just three simple things to help us all 
so that if we do these things, we can have a different pace this year. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we ask that you speak to each of us. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word together, that you would challenge us. That, Lord, the things that you've been needling us on, the things that you've been speaking would become loud in our ears and in our hearts, God, that we would hear you clearly today. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to not walk out of here the same way that we came in, that we would embrace what you have for each of us individually today. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as I communicate your word to your people. Help me to do it clearly and confidently. And, and Lord, help me to do it in a way that they hear you and less of me. We give you this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read just a few verses this morning from Hebrews chapter 12. I'm really fighting a dad joke right now, so you can already get there. Like, I don't even have to tell it to you. If you're ever wondering who's supposed to make coffee, the Bible tells you right there in this book. Thank you. Thank you for the chuckles. I appreciate it, Alfredo. I like that. All right, here's, here's how it starts out. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And we're going to pause right here at the very beginning of verse 1 because I want to just hang out here for a moment because I love how this chapter starts. Because as you begin to read this, what the author is doing is he's beginning to paint a picture that everyone who's reading or hearing this letter being, read, uh, being read aloud, they would begin to see the Colosseum. They would begin to see the Pantheon games, even maybe the Olympic games. Like They would be triggered to see some of these things. They would picture the Colosseum full of people packed, cheering their favorite athletes on. I mean, we don't have to, to imagine too hard. Some of us love the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. We can, we can hear the crowd chanting, Spaniard, Spaniard, Spaniard. We can see the, the crowds that gather at the football games, right? Some of you went to a football game this year, and the noise that was there was deafening as people were cheering for their favorite teams, their favorite players. So it shouldn't be hard to imagine what they're feeling right now as the author is telling them, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That, that word cloud there isn't like a cloud that's hovering, but ha have you ever seen how just a cloud is, is thick? And you can't see through it. If you've ever been in fog, that's actually a cloud. So you know what that's like. So you look around and you're just like, man, it's, it's still foggy here and here. That's what the author is telling us. There's people. There are witnesses all around us. Picture that moment. And I believe that he starts out or they start out this way to combat one of the lies of the enemy. You see, because as we try to live different. And as we try to live with a different commitment and a different pace, the enemy will look for moments where he can speak to us and tell us that no one else is doing what we're doing. No one else is, is living like this. No one else, I mean, just look around like no one else is a Jesus freak like you're trying to be a Jesus freak. No one else is praying like you're praying. No one else is believing. He'll tell you that you are the only one doing that. So this morning, as, as we start, I want you to block out his voice, and I want you to listen to the crowd. Now, normally, I don't know that I've ever preached a message where I've told 
all of us to listen to the crowd. Because most of the time, the crowd is trying to keep you from Jesus. Most of the time, if you go back and read like blind Bartimaeus' story, when he's trying to get to Jesus and crying out for help, like they're telling him to be quiet. Like Jesus doesn't have time for you, hush. And so I'm telling you, ignore the crowd, get to Jesus on on, but not this crowd. Because if we look at the very beginning of chapter 12, when it says, therefore, one of the things that you want to do is you want to look backwards and see, why is it actually therefore? So you look back, and it begins to describe the cloud of witnesses that are there in the moment. And we begin to realize we can listen to the crowd. Because in the crowd, we look at chapter 11 as the great chapter of faith, of the hall of faith. And we see names like Noah and Abel and Enoch and Moses, Abraham, just to name a few. And, and so I wonder if you could picture Arrowhead full of the people that you've been reading about in Scripture. The apostles are there. Paul is there. Gideon is there. We begin to look not just the people that we see on page and, and in our Bibles, but we begin to see people that we know and that we love. And my dad is there. My friend Joseph Jennings is there. And, and Yoli is there. My Aunt Norma is there. And I look around and see all of these people with great faith that I know, and they're the ones cheering. But the thing is, man, they're not just spectators the author says that they're witnesses but here's the thing they're not just there witnessing what you and i are doing they are there to bear witness to what god can do i want you to listen to the crowd this morning they are shouting about what god has done for them they are shouting about the promises that he's already fulfilled they're telling you their stories about what god did in them and then through them they're telling you the miracles that they saw happen in front of their eyes the miracles that they got to be a part of they're telling you about the sea that was in front of them that parted and they got to walk across it with dry land they're telling you that there is nothing that God can't do. And if he can do it in me, then he can do it in you. That's what they're shouting this morning. They're cheering on and shouting praises for the God that we serve. And they're telling us that he's done incredible things, so keep running. Because he's not going to stop with you. He is still good. And he is still God. And he's not finished working in you because they've seen what he can do in their own lives. So listen to the crowd. They're telling us if he can do it through me, he can do it through you. If he can do it through me, he can do it through you. The crowd, do you hear them? If he can do it through me, he can do it. Through you, Moses is chanting that so that you could hear, man, if he could do it through me, he can do it through you. David is shouting at the top of his lungs, if he can do it through me, he can do it through you. Thank you. It was a cough. <clears throat> if I sneeze, how many sneezes show up? At least three, sometimes four, and they hurt. They're bad, so you will not mistake them. But this beginning of this chapter isn't just about admiration, but about inspiration. It's like walking through a hall of fame for the first time, and, and you're looking at the statues and the pictures, and you're reading the accomplishments, and then you begin to read the stories behind the people, and you think, if they can do it, they, 
They came from a town like me. They, they experienced things like me. Their story sounds a lot like mine. And we begin to walk out of there thinking, man, they're in the Hall of Fame. I, I wonder if, if I could be in the Hall of Fame, if, if God could do that in their life, I bet he could do it in, in my own life. And so I want to remind you this morning, the devil is lying to you. He's telling you that you're alone, that you're never going to make it, that there's no one else that's going to partner with you and walk with you. He's lying because he is deathly afraid of who you can become. So block out his voice and listen to the crowd. Close your eyes. Listen, listen to them. If he can do it through me, he can do it through you. If he can do it through me, he can do it through you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So we're going to listen to the crowd. And the next thing that, that we're going to do is let go. I wanted to say let it go, but I figured there would be some frozen people. See, Damien already knows, like, his daughters are all about frozen. He's tired of Anna and Elsa. But when the author is telling us to, to let things go and set things aside, the people there would know that the athletes that competed, that they ran, like, they ran nearly naked so that they didn't have any obstacles as they were on the course. The only thing that mattered in that moment was doing the very best they could when they stepped onto the course. They didn't want to be dragging anything behind them or walk onto the, to the, the track, to the course, with something in their hands holding onto it that would potentially weigh them down. So let go. They wanted to make sure the, the, only, the only thing was time. How well can I do this? How well can I go? Can I give my all in this moment? And I just wonder, did they do more for their physical race than you and I actually do for our spiritual race? God, I pray right now as, as we continue to talk about letting go, that you would do and speak to each and every one of us, that you, that you would do what I believe that you want to do today, that you would call out those things that we're supposed to be letting go. The stuff that is keeping us from running with everything that we have. God, make it plain and clear to us. Amen. Be careful what you ask for. If we wonder, I wonder sometimes if we're holding on to things because it makes us feel better. It brings security to our hearts. But I wonder if the things that we're actually holding on to are holding us back. See, sometimes we want to run this race with Jesus, but we want certainty as we run the race. We want to know the plans. And some of you have the next few years of your life scripted. So when God tells you to move in another direction, you're like, no, 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 I need the plan. I don't need a direction. I need a destination. I need the route that I'm going to go as well. I also need the time it's going to take me to go that route and get there. I also need to know if there are going to be any roadblocks along. The and Jesus, my, matter of fact, let me just drive. Let me tell you the course. See, sometimes we, we want to step out in faith, but then we want to bring certainty along. This makes us feel good, like we're in control. And sometimes that certainty that we just want to be sure, it actually is masking fear. We're afraid to let go. We're afraid to trust. We're afraid to step into the unknown. We're afraid that we may step out and find it 
we were just talking to ourselves. What if we fail? What if it doesn't work out the way that it is? You know what? I'm just going to have a plan B. Let me have a plan B. You know what? I'm, gonna, I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm going to apply logic to what's going on right now, what God is speaking to me. The problem is a lot of times God doesn't care about our logic. He'll do what he wants to do, how he wants to do. I mean, if you read the story of Gideon, and Gideon was like, all right, I need you to do these couple of things. And God's like, all right, cool. And then Gideon was like, can you do the opposite? And God did the opposite. And so, like, it made no sense what God did because he's not here to help us with our logic. He just wants us to step out. And some of us are holding on to our labels, our job titles, who we've been, you know, for good or for bad. Some of us will hold on to the fact that people told us that we would never do anything with our lives. That we would be just like our dad, our brother, our cousin, our moms, whatever it would be. And we wear that label and we just say, you know what, I guess that's all there is. And for some of us, we hold on to those labels thinking, well, I am the manager here. I am the CEO of this place. I am this. And, and we look at our success and we wear that as a label too. But I wonder if those things that we're holding on to are actually just holding us back. Because the author here isn't just saying to take it off, but he's saying to throw it aside. As, as I read that, I, I just had to laugh because my son Jordan is probably the best at this. If you buy Jordan a shirt or pants that he really, really likes, it really doesn't matter where we are. We can be at home, in the kitchen, uh, in the living room, the dining room, wherever. We could be at your guys' house. We could be anywhere. If, if he gets something that he likes, he just looks and like, can I? Yep, go ahead. He'll take off whatever the old article of clothing is. If you bought him a new shirt, that old shirt that he loved this morning, that he had to wear this morning, he takes it off and he just balls it up and throws it over to the side. And he moves right along with the new shirt. And he is happy. And you know why I know that he throws it to the side? Because the next day, the shirt is still balled up in the corner where he threw it so that he could put on the new shirt. And that's the picture that the author is writing for us. He doesn't just want us to set it aside and go here. No, no, he wants you to take that thing that's been holding you back, that you've been holding on to, and ball it up and just throw it to the side. You have no more need for it anymore. See, if we keep going next to it and buy it and close to it and picking it back up, it's like playing basketball with your shoes untied. I have a fourth grader. There are people who don't know how to tie their shoes on his team. And they're running up and down the court, and we are screaming on the sidelines, tie your shoes. Ref, stop the game so they can tie their shoes. Why? Because we don't want them to trip and fall and get hurt. Not because there's not chance of them doing that in the actual game, but that's not part of the game. Just tie your shoe, and the chances of you tripping over yourself, over your own shoelace, are minimalized right in that moment. Some of us are untying our shoes and running and wondering why we keep falling. Some of us don't even untie our shoes. We tie them together, and we're running like this, and we're wondering why we can't keep up with the pace that Jesus is asking us to run. It makes no sense to keep those things around us that God is saying to let go of, to throw aside. You don't want them. You don't need them. You don't want to keep them anymore. You don't need a reminder of who you used to be. You know who you used to be. Let's get rid of all that stuff so that you can move in a different direction. See, to have a different pace isn't just about right and wrong. It's not just thinking like, okay, all the things that I was doing over here was wrong. I need to start doing things right or, or good and bad. It's but when I begin to listen for God's voice about what is better and best. 
It's about what I can do versus what I should do. Because if you read some of the things that Paul is saying, he's like, man, everything, everything is on the table, but is everything beneficial? And we begin to ask questions like, I could do that. But is where I'm going, is what God's placed on my heart, is that the wise choice for me to make right now? In light of who I've been and where I believe I'm headed, is that what God would ask me to do? I mean, you can send that text message at 1130 at night to that person that you know will respond back. But should you send that text? You can go to that party, that bar, that place where you know some things are going to tempt you. You can go there, but should you go there? You can Pull out your phone when everyone else is sleeping and look at whatever it is that you want. But should you do those things? You can take that job. It may pay you more money. It might lead you down this career path. But is that where God is asking you to go? You can date whoever you want. But should you be dating people that don't love Jesus the way that you love Jesus? No, no, you can't do that. Let me just tell you that right now. There, there's no question there. The answer to that question is no. So if you're dating someone who doesn't love Jesus, today is the day that we break up with them. I'll just say it like that. Today's the day that we walk away because the Bible very clearly says that we're not to be unequally yoked. And for some of you, you're wondering why you can't keep going. You're wondering why you keep running in a circle. I'm going to tell you, you have attached yourself to someone who is content like this. And you're just running around in a circle trying to figure out what's going on. So that one isn't a can and should. That one's just nope. You see, when we get in this point of, of letting things go, we need to delete some numbers from our contact list. We need to start removing people from our social media. And for some of us, it's not even removing them as friends. We need to start blocking people. They need to no longer get access to what's going on in our lives. Because that message that they'll send, hey, just want to check up on you. How you doing? No one's checking on you at 2 a.m. You're asleep. You should be. might need some new friends, some new circles to do life with. You might need to find some new places to hang out and spend your time. What is it that God is asking you right now to cut out of your life, to let go, because it is holding you back? And before you begin to justify in your mind the things that God is talking to you about, and we try to disguise some of those things, the author beats us to the punch. He says, let go of some of this stuff and the sin that so easily trips you up. Some of the things that are holding us back is sin. Sin that we've swept under the rug and said it's not that big a deal. You know what, Pastor? You know, I, I only do this every now and then. It's not a big deal. Me and Jesus, we have a, an agreement. He, he looks the other way while this is happening, and then the next day, like, I look back at him. Like, we're good then. He knows that I need this to, to bring me peace. He knows I need this to, to blow off steam, whatever it may be. The problem is the sin may not be a big deal to you, but it's actually causing a big deal in your life. You may not realize that that, that little bit of sin is draining every bit of life out of you. It's adding to your weariness. You're wondering why it's hard to move towards God because you're getting tired by carrying around the sin that is weighing you down. And then when you get discouraged and you think you can't follow God, that little bit of sin piles on again and it adds and multiplies the discouragement. And when you feel like you want to be free, it multiplies the guilt and the shame that you feel because you know you shouldn't be doing it. And that sin slowly but surely separates us from God. 
We may not think it's a big deal. It's not hurting anyone. It's just for me. It's just on my own. Like no one's got to know. But that thing is keeping us from running at a pace that leads us to freedom. It's keeping us held down. What's wild at times, sin doesn't even have to work hard. We won't even make it tough for the devil to trip us up. Because we're living our lives in this gray area. It's like we wake up and like, all right, let's run through the minefield today. Every step, something could happen. Because the Greek here for this verse says that the sin that is there that trips us up is actually surrounding you like a pride of lions just waiting for the moment to pounce. So I keep living my life in this gray area of maybe Jesus, maybe not. I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to hold on to all this stuff. And it sets me up to be surrounded by the goal or by sin and the goal there is to get me when I least expect it and it hopes that if it doesn't destroy me it's content with distracting me for a little while it's content with disorienting me in my direction as I'm headed for Jesus it wants to disable me in some way so that I can't get back into the race it hopes that it will distort the vision of who I think that I can be in God's eyes sin is happy to just sit back and wait because it knows eventually it's going to be full grown. And when it's full grown, it's going to completely separate us from God. So the enemy has more patience than we do most times because he'll wait it out. He knows that if you let that little sin in and you keep justifying it, it's going to bring some friends and it's going to get bigger. And eventually what you thought you had under control, you'll realize has had you under control the whole time. Man, Pastor Kevin, be easy. Okay, we can't let go. And how do we do that? I'm glad that you asked. Here's verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and look up. Uh-oh. I didn't say that right. Weary and give up. Thank you. Just right there, guys. Help me out. I was reading too far ahead of my notes. The last thing. There's simple things today. We're going to listen to the crowd. We're going to let go. We're going to hear the voice of God. And then we're going to lock in. We have to lock in on our finisher. My friend Bob, he ran a couple of marathons and and if, if you know my friend Bob, he doesn't look like a marathon runner. He looks like two fire hydrants stacked together. Like, he is a short, stocky guy. Like, you're not going to be like, man, go run 26.2 miles, buddy. You're not going to do that to him. And one of the things that he was telling me is as he got into the race, there were guys that had run multiple marathons before, and they carried these signs and said, hey, if you run with me, this is the time that you finish. And so Bob said there were a couple times that I just had to look at those guys and lock in on their signs and know that all I had to do was follow them because they knew where the finish line was, they knew how to get there, and I knew that if I kept up with them, I would finish the race. We have to lock in on our finisher. We have to lock in on the one who is calling us to follow. We have to put our faith in Jesus. We have to look at the finish line of where he is and keep running and remind ourselves that he already paid the highest price for this race. We have to walk in the same footsteps that he's in because he didn't just start the race. He finished it. He finished it. He's not wondering if he wins. No, he's already wearing his crown and he's waiting at the end to give you yours. 
to give me mine if we keep running. So don't run passively anymore. Stop speed walking like you're a mall walker and start running with a different pace. Be aggressive with how you follow Jesus this year. Get your strength from him. Tune into his voice. Lock in on him. Do you hear him calling you a champion before you get to the end of the finish line? Can you see him waving you on, telling you to come on, telling you that he's already won? All you've got to do is finish and you get the same prize he got. Keep running your race. Stop looking around and trying to run in somebody else's lane. Jesus didn't make you to run my race. And he didn't make me to run yours. And this is one of the things that I love about this scripture. You need to run your race. You were created for this. Some of you need to embrace this this morning. You've been wondering, like, really? Come on, God. Am I? I'm telling you right now, God has created you for now. He knew everything that was going to be happening. He knew what culture would look like. He knew what society would look like. He knew the stuff that was going on in your family. That this, And he decided right here and right now is exactly where you needed to be because you were created for this race. You were created to run in your lane. You were created for the calling that he's placed on your life. You were created for the anointing that he is pouring out over you. He designed you to run your race. So run your race. Keep running. Lock in on him. If you get knocked down, get back up. Find the courage. Find the hope. Find help to get back into the race. Don't run backwards anymore. Stop giving up the ground that God has already given you. Stop running in reverse, thinking that maybe, just maybe, you can undo things in your past. Allow God to redeem it. Allow him to put it together. Keep running forward and running toward God because as you do that, you'll remember, man, I've come way too far to go all the way back there. When you look back, the start line is way back there. You're not who you were when you started this race. Don't let the enemy convince you that there has been no change, that you haven't made up ground. He's afraid that you will realize that you're closer to the end than you are to the beginning because when you realize that you're closer to what God has in store for you, you will pick up the pace. You'll start to sprint a little bit more. You'll dig a little deeper and you'll hear his voice and you'll run with everything that you got. He doesn't want you to hear that. And when those things happen, you can feel like Paul when you say, man, you look around and be like, man, I am pressed on every side. I'm not crushed. I'm getting back up. Hold on. I, I, I am perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I have been knocked down, but I'm not destroyed. I am persecuted, but God has not left me alone. Guess what? Get back up. Lock it in on the finisher of your faith and take another step and then another step and then get back to the pace that you're supposed to be running. Let me tell it to you another way. Your race matters for people whose stadiums you're going to be standing in. That someday your life of faith, your voice will be the one that your grandkids hear. That your grandkids are telling stories about and they hear about great grandma and grandpa. Your, your sons and your daughters will look at your lives and they will see the stadium and they'll hear what God has done through you. And if he can do it through me, he can do it. Through you, they will listen to the crowd and maybe they will keep running as well. So keep running. Don't give up. 
Jesus is still the answer for all that you feel like is keeping you back. All the obstacles that you're faced, the stuff that's dragging behind you, he is still the answer for it all. The author tells us that he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He, he went through it all. He suffered its shame. He, he endured beatings and, and people yelling, all this stuff. And, and I want you to consider him when you feel like giving up. Think about those things, but not about the stuff that he took. Think about what he gave you. Don't, 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 don't just think about the stripes that he took. Think about the healing that he gave you. Don't, don't just think about the cross and the death. Think about the tomb and the resurrection and the life. I want you to think about the peace that he's brought into your world, the comfort that he brings when he steps into the room, the power that he's given you, the strength that it will give you when you are weak, the grace that covers over your sins. We need to lock in on him. When it talks about the joy set before him, it does talk about him sitting at the right hand of the Father. But I believe that part of the joy that, that he experienced, the reason why he kept taking steps towards the cross is because he was looking at you. He was thinking about you. He was envisioning you walking across that finish line and him calling you a champion, being who he created you to be. He was thinking about you and he thought, you know what, it's worth it. If they believe in me, if they'll follow after me, if they'll move, it's worth all of the stuff I'm going through. It's worth all of the things that I can give to them now so that they can run their race. And we can let go. I'm here to tell you this morning, there's not anything that's, that's got a hold of you this morning that you can't let go of today. There's things that tripped us up. There's sin that we've welcomed into our world at times. There's sin that, that hopes to pull us away from Jesus and out of our lane and disqualify us. This morning, not only can we let it go, we can be forgiven. See, sometimes we struggle with forgiveness because we don't understand how God does it. We understand why he does it. What's the rules? How do I get some of this? And I don't really understand how you can completely forgive me if I can remember. How do you? Why? Look, let me tell you this. You don't have to understand it to benefit from it. You can let go and be forgiven this morning. If you confess it and turn away from it, if you throw it this way, guess what? God will pick it up and he'll throw it even farther. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to not leave an ounce of it there if we confess it and bring it to him. Psalms 103 tells us he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Micah 7 tells us that once again, you'll have compassion. You will trample our sins under your feet. You will throw them into the depths of the ocean. What's crazy is, man, God keeps picking our sins up and throwing them away. And we keep running and finding them. Hold on, wait, God, did you mean to throw that? No, 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 let me get in, let me get in, let me get in, let me get in, let me get in. All right, God, throw this one away. Oh, no, no, wait, let me get in, let me get in, let me get in. We keep picking it back up after we ask him to throw it away. After we told him we want to let go of it, we want to move on from it. Maybe this will change your perspective. Colossians 2 says this, that you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. That God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Not just some, all our sins. And he canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. All the stuff that we've been hiding, I believe that this is in here so that we'll stop running and picking it up.
that will allow Jesus to say, I got this covered for you. Just hand it here. I'll take it. Let me nail it to the cross. Don't grab it anymore. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to pay for the bill that you ran up. All of the stuff you've been carrying around, all of the things that have been pushing you and pulling you away and moving you in different directions, let me take care of that for you. Just let me nail it to the cross and you won't have to grab it anymore. See, we can be free. That's why Jesus tells us that if we let the Son set us free, we'll be free indeed. So what is it that God is asking you to let go of? When we got to that part and I prayed, what was it that he was speaking to you? What sin have you been hiding from everyone else? Or what sin have you been lying about to everyone else? I got it under control. You don't have to worry about it. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. That, that addiction, it doesn't got me anymore. I, I walked away from that. I'm good. But secretly, you're continuing to fall over and over again to that same addiction. What things is God asking for you to throw away? What hobbies, what relationships, what, what may it be? I believe that God has been speaking the entire time. And that's why I gave you a piece of paper when you came in today. Because that paper wasn't for you to take notes because it was tiny. But that paper was for you to respond to what Jesus was saying. That paper was for you to listen to the voice of God. That paper was for you to Write down, what's keeping you from God? What, what, what's, what are you holding on to that is actually holding you back from running the pace that God has created you to run? What keeps tripping you up? So we're going to have, the response time is going to be different. The worship team isn't going to come up. I'm going to ask our production team to, to play some music for us. And in, in the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to respond and write down on that paper, what is God telling you it's time to let go? And then what I want you to do is make your way down here. For some of you, this is going to be easy. For others of you, it's going to be hard. But we've got a few hammers and some nails. Today's the day we get free. doesn't get to hold me anymore. doesn't get to restrain me anymore. I get to run the pace that God is asking me to run. If you don't feel comfortable nailing it, that's why my guy Jay is up here. He'll help you to leave it right here. So don't wait for anybody else. I done broke it open. What is God speaking to you? Take the next couple moments and respond. Nail it to the cross. Don't let it catch you anymore. Don't let it hold you back anymore. Leave it right there. Walk out differently today. Run at a different pace. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.